This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, today we talked to Kristen, who's a friend of mine from Portland, and she is the founder of edify.edu, and she works with tech companies to help them develop learning plans and leadership and all kinds of things, and we dig into a bunch of those topics with her. Awesome. Before we get into that, I would like to mention that you can support Women's Tech Radio by going to patreon.com forward slash today. It is a general bucket where the whole network is supported, but if you donate, you will know that your funds is partially going to support Women's Tech Radio. Go to patreon.com forward slash today. And we get started with our conversation with Kristen by asking her what she's up to in technology these days. I have been working on my own company called Edify for almost a year now. Um, in the middle of September, we'll reach a year anniversary, and that'll be really fun. But Edify is a company that works with tech and creative companies on their internal learning. And so I spent several years in the education world and in alternative learning environments. But over the past two years, I've been really interested in how learning in a classical sense actually helps tech companies become better, become more diverse and become more inclusive. And so I've tried to take that work into Edify and kind of give that information in kind of that applesauce medicine format. So tech companies don't necessarily know that's what we're doing, but that is what we're doing. Applesauce medicine. Can you, (laughs) can you describe that a little more? That's really interesting. It's possible that um, only my mom did this, but I definitely had to take medicines that I didn't want to take and that didn't take very taste very good when I was a kid. So she would crunch them up and put them in applesauce. And so I didn't really know until later that that's what she was doing. Huh. Um, and so you're getting this really healthy medicine that you need, um, but it tastes good. <laughs> and so um, sometimes it's really hard for tech companies who are run by you know, basically all white men um, who have no women on their board, who have no women in upper leadership to understand how diversity and inclusion and good workplace practices are beneficial to their work. But when they hear things like um, internal learning helps you with retention, internal learning helps you with time to productivity, it helps your employees be happier, which helps your culture. Those are things that they pay attention to. But my work um, is built off of this understanding and this uh, body of knowledge that knows that working in diversity inclusion initiatives um, is not only the medicine that they need, it's what they need to continue to grow. And it's what everybody in this society needs. Right. It's well check for a commercial well check. or Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh, well check up. I mean, like, like, I, I didn't know what you meant. Well check up, like going to the doctor. Yeah. For your annual. They just call them well checks. Uh, yeah. Not even check up. Well checks. Well. Yeah. Just make sure you're doing good. Yeah. So what exactly do you mean by internal learning? So what Edify means by internal learning is something that the rest of the industry calls training and development or learning and development. And those two um, offices are typically 
within the HR department or sometimes they're, they're built out into their own department in larger companies. And they are groups of people or sometimes one or two people within a company who uh, take it upon themselves to manage their company onboarding. So bringing in new employees, they typically will work on manager training. They'll work on um, any kind of technical training that employees need to be successful. And I have a theory that's kind of backed up by some research and some work that I've done um, and research that others have done as well, that for the past 30 or 40 years, learning and development and training development haven't really been very successful and they're sort of a necessary evil. And so I don't use that terminology when I talk about Edify. So I use the term uh, internal learning and that helps my clients and future clients hopefully see we really care about the learning of the employees inside of this company. We care about how successful they are. We care about how easily they're able to access information that they need to be good at their jobs and to give back to the company in the way that they were hired. Okay. And your company, is it like, do you go in as a consultant or is it like a monthly ongoing thing? Is it temporary? Yeah, I go in as a consultant um, and I joke, but I'm actually pretty serious about it, that I don't think a company should ever have to hire me again. If they have mm -hmm. to hire me again for the same thing, that means I did not do a really good job of helping them understand how to evolve the program or the process that we developed together. And so typically what consulting for me looks like is I'll sit with a potential client um, who explains a problem. It usually comes out of a place of desperation or a place of fear. Um, and that could look like, well, you know, our company is growing very quickly right now and I don't know how to handle onboarding new employees in multiple countries. Or they could say, you know, I just feel like our managers aren't being as successful as they could be. And we already sent them to leadership training. So I don't know how to solve that problem. And that's what Edify will come in and do. And we'll say, okay, let's do some time around discovering what's the lay of the land in this organization? How does your culture affect the way people work and the way people learn? Um, how does the company's marketplace affect the way people learn and need to be productive? Um, and so it's a consulting engagement, but uh, many problems are approached with different frameworks. Um, and I use a framework that I've developed called the learning culture framework um, to guide whatever kind of work we're doing. Um, and I believe that there's sort of a connection between each effort of learning, uh, a connection between onboarding and a connection between uh, succession planning for when an employee leaves. Um, and so that's, that's how I approach consulting. So internal learning, I'm getting my head around that learning culture, that all makes sense. I love the idea that succession planning, I haven't even heard that term before. Like that's, that's yeah. pretty fascinating. Um, so you've got all this kind of stuff and it sounds like a pretty broad framework. Like what, what was it that sparked you to, to apply this to tech companies specifically? Well, you know, I actually come from a very non-technical background. Um, my background is in museum education, actually, and I'm more of an art historian than I am a, a technologist. <laughs> and um, I started my kind of career in museums and in nonprofits and was always pretty tech savvy and a decent early adopter of a lot of technical things. Like I, you know, hopped on TaskRabbit and Fiverr to figure out what those were and lots of different things um, early on. And I started to realize how unhappy I was 
in the situations that I was working in. And they were mostly museums and nonprofits. And I started to put all the pieces together and I realized this is, these are management problems. These are learning problems where employees aren't uh, being as successful as they could be because they're not getting the, the information and the knowledge that they need to, to do well in their jobs. And so I, I left um, in search of other things and that sort of landed me in a very random job. I was doing business development for a small web development agency here in Portland. Um, and that was also short-lived. I was only there for about a year, but it was a huge learning curve. And I learned all about how WordPress works and how Drupal works and how you know D3 and Angular work. And I, I learned what Git was and started uh, learning to code myself and realized that this whole you know, industry of tech startups that I had been kind of ignoring but knew about um, it is actually the way that companies are moving and starting to look at the, this idea that all companies are eventually going to be tech companies in some variety uh, or in some way. And I realized that if, if there are management problems inside of the nonprofit and museum world, and I also saw them at the the development agency that I was working at, that there are probably issues elsewhere. And so as I made more friends in the tech environment here in Portland, they all started to tell me this education stuff that you're working on seems really relevant to my job. You know, can you, can you help me with this onboarding project or can you help me um, give me some tips for how I might educate my subordinate employee, you know, somebody who works under me. And I realized that that's, that's what I should be working on. And at that time, I had been working in a different way with Edify. I was doing uh, lots of different educational uh, processes and tools for small businesses that really didn't have anything to do with internal learning. It was actually a lot of customer education. Um, and then I realized I needed to switch from that. And so it ultimately became this spur of everything is going to be tech and tech is very confused right now. So if I can add something that's helpful, I'm going to try to do that. That's really interesting because one thing I've noticed about, um, I've been working with just random different companies and they, they have a specialty, you know, be it like, um, business or daycare or whatever, but all of them seem to have a tech problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> think, I think the way that you put it where all companies are going to become a tech company, yeah. at least in some way. I mean, like, look at your biggest standout. Like a lot of people talk about Sears, you know, Sears is one right. of the oldest companies in America. And even they had to, to, even many years ago, like suck it up and become partly a tech company. Like they built one of the first available internal point of service softwares mm -hmm. and it's a Sears thing. So in a way, you I know, didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so like everybody touches technology at this point, like you, right. you, it's almost inescapable. Mm -hmm. Right. You see companies like Honeywell, which is, you know, used to be more of, you know, like a home hardware kind of thing. They would make fans and things like that. And they're really trying hard to get into Internet of Things right now. Um, mm -hmm. And so there, there are companies that are not traditionally tech companies, but then there are a lot of companies that are definitely, you know, tried and true tech companies especially here in, in Portland and on the West Coast in general. And what I've seen as a pattern, and, and this is a broad generalization, but I've seen as a pattern that tech companies, you know, startups are started by some person, typically some guy, 
with a passion for some problem. They're an engineer. Um, some of us, you know, entrepreneurs in general are, are problem seekers and problem solvers. And we get really, you know, fixated on one thing. Um, and sometimes when you're fixated on one thing, it's really hard for you to see how the other things contribute to the one thing that you're really interested in. And I've noticed that the companies that are successful and that are able to be nimble and move along um, and continue growth, they don't just focus on the product. They focus on the people who make the product. And that's a lot harder and it's a, it's a lot more time intensive. It doesn't have to necessarily be uh, painful or expensive monetarily or resource wise, but it's something that you want to plan for. And so I've tried to start my work with companies that are in that 100 to 400 person range so that they don't make these mistakes when they're the size of HP or the size of Intel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're almost uncorrectable at that point. Right. I mean, I really don't want to work for Intel, actually, like 100,000 employees. I cannot imagine oh my trying goodness. to get their, you know, everybody on the same page. You oh. know, I, I call for in a lot of my uh, with a lot of my clients, I request and we work on growth plans for each employee or for kind of categories of employees. And I can't imagine doing that for for 100,000 employees. Yeah, I think in that in that scenario, you end up in the train the trainer role as opposed yeah. to a touching things role. Do you have you found that like working specifically with tech and specifically with small tech companies that um, you kind of have, have you run into the struggle of uh, lack of soft skills on the founder and management oh, yeah. side? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I There's a company who shall remain unnamed, but I um discovered recently from several employees that there was there's some behavior on their on their management team on their leadership level c-suite team um that was that was really deceptive and that um, was designed to basically get information that he wanted out of employees and kind of shame other employees that that did not give him the answer that he wanted to see um and that's that's a really not only is that a manipulative behavior it's unfortunately typical um, and you, you see a lot of people, and this goes many ways, um, but right now in the ecosystem, it's mostly male. You see these CEOs and these um, C-level people um, trying to manipulate situations so that they will win, so that mm. um, their product will win, and they don't really care what happens to do that. Um, and that is, again, kind of the undercurrent of the work that I do is to try to make those things not happen. You know, I care that your company wins effectively, you know, in an ethical, um, good way. But I also want you to care about the employees that that help you get there. Um, and so I, I do see a problem with soft skills. And I don't know if I want to make the generalization that it's because they're techies. Um, I'm definitely not somebody who would call myself a techie. I obviously come out of a very um, low tech world. I mean, most of the museums that I worked for are still on slides <laughs> and they don't <laughs> do, they don't have like an internal, um, system for that. And they're, they're still in the process of digitizing everything. Are you like a microfiche expert? Uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I, I haven't touched any microfiche for a really long time, actually, maybe like three or four years. But um, I did a lot of research using them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, um, you know, obviously there's a there's a gap in, in soft skills and not really sure. I kind of think of it as an epidemic, so I'm not really sure how to approach that. I think the best thing that that people could be doing, especially within code schools and other places where they're, you know, you're teaching sort of the next generation of business owners or the next generation of coders, is to to actually blatantly teach soft skills and and to teach people skills. Yeah, this is actually a, a big discussion that we've been having with um, one of the code schools that I work at and work with is that like they're the biggest problem they're having with grads who aren't getting hired isn't their technical skills it's their soft skills it's their ability to interview to present themselves and and how do you how do you tackle that um right yeah that's actually um it links very strongly to manager training um one problem i see in tech very often is that um people programmers software engineers will be good at their job and as a company grows somebody will need to manage a -hmm. team and so you know, kind of the best coder gets promoted to management. And that is actually a horrible way <laughs> to find right. how to get your next level of management um, because of two reasons. One, just because you are good at one job does not mean that you're going to be good at managing other people doing that job. And two, when you take somebody away from doing the thing that they love, they kind of lose a little bit of spark. They lose mm-hmm. a little bit of what they're interested in. And now they have to watch other people do what they like. Um, and that's actually really, really hard. That's why many people um, actually try to get away from management and keep doing what they like, and they have no management aspirations hmm. um, because they see this happen over and over again. Yeah. I guess I mean that's that's outside of tech. Even the, I like oh, yeah. the, the the old adicum, like you get promoted to the level of incompetence and left there. Yes, <laughs> you do. And you know the traditional way of dealing with that is to say, okay, I'm going to send you to leadership training. I actually have a client who did that and they told me, okay, well, we've, we've figured out that our managers weren't doing a great job. You know, we had people leaving and citing the reason for leaving as my manager cannot give me good feedback. My manager cannot manage meetings. Um, so they have very clear, you know, lines of distinction that their managers aren't doing a good job, but they didn't know what to do about it. So they sent them to a pretty expensive uh, leadership training course and nothing happened. They came back, nothing changed. Uh, effectively, the only thing that changed was that now these people knew their leadership style, which is pretty much useless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, you know, people will argue with me about that, but I think knowing your leadership style has nothing to do with your ability to be flexible or to give feedback or to be a good manager. And sometimes you do need to be a good leader and, and leadership training can help, but it is really about those soft skills and it's about your ability to read a situation and know what's most effective for that situation or to know, you know, this person's not doing a good job, but maybe that's not their strong suit. So maybe I can give them some more training or I can move them to a different place in the company so that they can be more successful. Um, that's what kind of those soft skills are. And unfortunately, it's almost like um have you ever heard of biological magnification where, you know, a toxin will build up in an environment, in an ecosystem um, year after year, and that's, you're sort of left with a really, really toxic set of eggs, like with um, DDT in the 70s. Um, And so that happens in management. You know, you 
add bad skill on, you know, bad behavior upon poor knowledge or knowledge understanding of, of management. And that's what you get. Um, so maybe code schools will listen to this and teach their <laughs> students soft mm-hmm. skills. Right. Now, I have a question. When the C-level um, management is the problem, how do you how do you address that? Like, you know, do you just yeah. like in the politest way possible be like, you're the problem? <laughs> I wish it were that easy. <laughs> right? Like, or do you work with the management underneath them to try to just promote change upward and downward? Or how does, I mean, yeah. I, I'm just curious. That- yeah, I, I've been in several situations where management or say the executive director or the CEO really was the problem. Um, and the best thing that I've I've been able to find is to model good behavior and to get everyone else to start modeling good behavior. And what's funny about that is if if people start to change the culture within an organization and then somebody isn't wanting to change with them, what they're gonna find is the culture has shifted and left them behind and that they're really different now um, or that the culture is really different from them. And what that does is hopefully says to that person who's the problem, hey, look, we've all made this decision because we think this is the right way to go. Um, and we hope you'll join us. <laughs> we hope you'll kind of see this good behavior. Um, the other thing is to to work with people around that person who are maybe on the same level um, and get them to realize that. Um, unfortunately, there are situations where Maybe there's only one kind of person at the top, like in small organizations, and there really isn't anybody who's a peer. Um, I had an experience, many, actually several experiences in nonprofits and in the web development agency that I worked at, where there was no peer to to the person at the top. And it was very clear to everybody that the person at the top was the problem. And unfortunately, in those kinds of circumstances, sometimes it's better for you to just leave and to find a different role outside of the company um, because you don't want to continue to bang your head against a wall um, in a basically in a mentally unsafe place. Um, And so sometimes you can't change people. I hate to to end on that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Now we all owe you a consulting fee, I think. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is definitely, you know, in, Stuff rolls downhill, you know. Yeah, it's it always, stuff. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Lots of stuff. Good stuff. Bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And uh, I mean, it's one of the talks we have about um, diversity. You know, like diversity rolls downhill if you have a diverse senior team. Yes. You have a diverse workforce. That's mm-hmm. you know, if you have an, an ignorant senior team, a lot of times you have an ignorant workforce. Right. Um, yeah. I was actually just looking at. Um, a company that called me actually unsolicited to see if I wanted to do some work with them, which is always great. Like business owners love that. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. However, I went and I looked at their website and out of 20 people, they have three women on their team and they are all in pretty low level positions. And it just immediately puts me off. I mean, and that's, I'm making, obviously I'm making some assumptions and some judgments, but I, you know, get the luxury of working with companies that I want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always interested, you know, I'll always take a meeting or I'd always take a call. But I think when you see companies that haven't made an effort or they're not talking about it or they're not publishing their diversity numbers, 
um, it means that they don't necessarily think or know it's a problem. Right. Or prioritize it or, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, working with someone who's going to listen is very important. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've definitely tried to talk to people who did not want to listen and it's a very frustrating experience. <laughs> Yeah, I like to say, you know, I like to change the old outcome. Like, you can lead a horse to water. You can even make them drink. You can't make them <laughs> like it. Yeah, It's true. It's true. I can definitely put people through trainings and, and awesome strategic planning processes, but they might not like it mm -hmm. and they might not do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, Kristen. I'm you know, always excited to hear what you're up to. Um if people want to catch you online, what's the best way to do that? If maybe they want to talk to you about their company. Definitely. If you want to talk to me, um, I'm always on email. So the best way to do that is at uh, my email, which is Kristen at edifyedu.com or on Twitter. So those are the top two. And you can either talk to the Edify EDU Twitter or the Kristen Mave Twitter, which I think are both in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can find a full transcript of the show over at jupiterbroadcasting.com in the show notes. You can also use the contact form that's at the top of jupiterbroadcasting.com, and you can subscribe to the RSS feeds. You can also find us on YouTube or iTunes. If you're on iTunes, feel free to take a moment and leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think. You can also contact us directly at wtr.jupiterbroadcasting.com or follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is heywtr. Thanks for listening.